Well, I want to welcome you all to another Daily Decade, your rosary on the road. As I mentioned yesterday, or I guess I really should say this morning since I'm recording this ahead of time, uh, we had two intentions that came in, and I felt it was important that each of them should get their own Decade of the Rosary. Uh, we can go into a lot of detail about whether it's, whether it's necessary to split up prayers or spread intentions across multiple prayers, but I think there's something worthy in... Uh, spending a little bit of, of extra time on an intention uh, and offering an extra prayer uh, rather than uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, loading down one one devotion with multiple intentions obviously God will respond to the intention no matter what but it offers us a opportunity all of us an opportunity to reflect a little bit more and spend a little bit more time thinking about the needs of each individual person whether we prayed for uh, that way when we prayed for George yesterday we weren't uh, we weren't distracted uh, by other intentions we could devote all of our time on holding that particular intention in our hearts when we approach the Almighty to spend time with him and the same thing is true of today. Uh, today we have an intention from the inbox that came in yesterday uh, from SC. Uh, he is one of a family that is coming into the Catholic Church as a whole. And they've run into a bit of a snag uh, where things have slowed down a bit. COVID's played a role there and his particular life situation has also played a role. Not that he's in a state of, a special state of sin or anything like that, but rather uh, his uh, professional life has made it such that it's more difficult for him to sit down regularly with a priest and go through the catechetical instruction. And so uh, he asked that we pray for him and uh, speed the process along and, and, and make things as they need to be. And I'd like to do that. I'd like to pray for that. And I'd also like to pray uh, in a special way uh, that if the whole process not be sped along, that whatever is holding it up will be revealed to him and he'll be able to learn what he needs to learn from it. And I'd also like to pray that whatever he needs to learn from the experience that's slowing it down he'll he and his family will be able to learn from it usually these things are a matter of patience and that's something that i'm going to talk about in a little bit more detail well i've talked about it before so maybe i'll have a different reflection today uh, but you know we give the little bit of time that we have we learn on ascension day when christ says after a little while you will see me again we have this time that's given to us and when things slow down usually that's the Lord informing us that there's some task he has in in mind for us so I uh, so I want to pray for that as well and I want to pray for you as well and if you have an intention for me to pray for I encourage you to send it in to daily decade requests at protonmail.com that's decade d-e-c-a-d-e requests in the plural at protonmail.com and if you have intentions prayer requests for someone else questions comments anything of the sort i'll be delighted to read make every effort i can to respond i know that i have one email still outstanding i haven't forgotten you and you know who you are i will respond to that email with some feedback uh, as soon as I have the opportunity, it's been about two weeks now, which is much longer than I usually like to go. So I, I hope that you'll forgive me and pray for me for that. But now let's turn our minds and our hearts to God on behalf of uh, S.C. and his entire family.
today is a Friday and uh, moreover it's a Friday after a major feast day so I'd like to pray in Latin today in nomine pacis et fidi et spiritus sancti amen Pater noster qui es in celi sanctificator nomen tuum adveniat regnum tuum fiat voluntas tua sicut in celo et in terra panem nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie et dimiti nobis debita nostra sicut et nos diminimus debitoribus nostris et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, Ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. 
Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, Sicur Rat Principio et Nunc et Semper et et Secula Seculor. Amen. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordia, Vita Dulcedo et Spes Nostre, Salve. Ate clamamus, exulis filia evi, ate suspirimus, gementes et flentes, in hac lacromarum vale. Ea ergo, advocata nostra, ilos tuos misericordes oculos ad nos converte, et jesum beatum fructum ventris tui nobis postum exilium ostende. O clemens, o pia, o dulce verico Maria. Ora pro nobis, sancta Dei genetrix, ut digni officiamur missionibus Christi. Remus. Pour forth we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection. Through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. O St. Peter Canisius, great preacher and teacher of the faith, whose catechesis was so great as to reclaim lands lost during the Protestant Reformation and to bring the wayward Germans back to the faith. Grant that the delay in catechesis experienced by these servants and handmaids of the Lord be to their benefit and enriching of their faith and in wealthening that they may grow in wealth in their understanding of the catechism of St. Pius V great defender of the faith great proponent of the rosary great catechist master of the council of Trent add your prayers that by the intercession of you both great catechists of the faith that these seekers and catechumens might be brought to God more swiftly and if not more swiftly then more completely than they might otherwise have been and their faith being full complete and perfect might bring them before the heavenly throne in glory that they may join with you and with all the cloud of witnesses and all the church triumphant in glorifying God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, now and forever. Amen. For all of us here in the church militant, fighting day by day, send us your aid, O St. Michael, and defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Sacratissimum Coriezu et Miserere Nobis. Sacratissimum Coriezu et Miserere Nobis. Sacratissimum Coriezu et Veniat Regnum 
Omni Pachis Affidiate Spiritus Sancti. Amen. And welcoming. <laughs> well, I hope y'all will forgive me for that. That was rather ridiculous. But when one has to come up with a prayer on the fly, sometimes the English language does uh, rather flee. Uh, but uh, uh, hopefully that, that, that'll be sufficient. At any rate, uh, I had thought about talking about prayer and patience today, uh, but we did just recently talk about that, I think last week. And there was another topic that was on my mind that I think might be more enriching and, uh, and a little bit more helpful. Uh, and it's something we've talked about before, but not in this way. Uh, and so I hope that it will be, be helpful. I've gotten into conversations recently with a few different people and I've seen some things circulating online in particular that uh, have really left me sort of scratching my head uh, and what I mean by that is not that they confuse me but rather that they leave me wondering what is the why what's the point of all of this and one of the discussions that's been had recently and I'm not I don't intend to turn this reflection into some kind of articulation or, or rant or lecture on my own position on this, but rather uh, offer it as a, as a meditation on the question that arises on how to deal with everything that is wrong with the church today. Certainly there's a great deal wrong. I don't think anyone who has any honesty about them can claim that there isn't some kind of crisis and uh, some difficulty facing the church. And in fact, a, a source and an authority no less well-known and respected than Bishop Sheen himself said that there was a great crisis in the church in the 1970s. And he had proposed that we were entering now a period of crisis in the church, which was the end of Christendom. Not the end of, he makes a point, not the end of Christianity, not the end of the church, the end of Christendom, which is the social, political, and economic order structured around the teachings of the Holy Church. So he recognized that a crisis in the church had arisen, uh, particularly from the, the council uh, of the, the Second Council of the Vatican. So I don't think anyone can honestly deny that there's a crisis in the church. But in these difficult times, there is a temptation. Because there is so much confusion, and because the devil is so thorough in his work, to look around us at any given point, find all that there is that is evil, and bring it to light. And there's an argument, I think a strong one, to be made, that this is a good thing that we should absolutely call out the heretics, the apostates, the infidels, the subverters, the Judaizers, all of them. Bring them out into the light and shame them. I think there's a very strong argument for that, and that has been the traditional practice of good Christians going back uh, many centuries. And, in fact, the resistance to that very line of thinking is part of what gave us the re both religious indifferentism, which is, has been condemned by several popes, uh, as well as the uh, the sort of what I might call a soft indifferentism of liberal society at large, the live and let live. It's not necessarily the uh, same thing as saying all religions are equal, but that it's not worth fighting about them. 
So there are two different kinds of indifferentism that exist there. And we do see quite a bit of that. But at the same time, I also see a difficulty in that the constant exposure to the obscenity, and it really is obscenity at this point, there's no more good-natured heretics. They have become obscene in what they are doing to the church, what they do to the iconography of our Lord. Iconoclasts no longer smash statues, they paint them up and make them. They make mockeries of them, turn them into clowns. Uh, that's that's actually, that phenomenon is exactly what's being made fun of in that Buddy Christ uh, thing from back in the late 90s. I forget where that comes from, but I remember seeing it, and it's precise, it's, it's a really quite an accurate mockery of the tone that these indifferentists take on. At any rate, uh, this is a difficulty to point out these things and see them constantly. It can drag a bit. And in addition to that, some of it is so obscene that it really does no good to rest on the imagination of the faithful. It rather lends arms to the enemy in many ways. And this argument back and forth could go on for days, and I, I'm not really interested in hashing it out and finding a solution to it, but something did occur to me uh, after I had read an article that was full of falsehood attacking uh, the sitting pontiff, or at least the sitting claimant to the papacy. Uh, and it was attacking him for saying something that he had not in fact said. And I've seen this occur a couple of times, actually, where he's accused of saying something he did not, in fact, say, as if what he was, as if what he does say wasn't bad enough. You have to make things up. But anyway, that was my thought, and it occurred to me that the spread of calumny is a great danger that arises when we make it our habit to begin public publicizing and highlighting the falsehoods, the heresies, the errors, and the imprudence of the church hierarchy. And there's plenty of all of it to go around, both in the United States and elsewhere. The German bishops right now are showing just exactly how imprudent they can be. And it's important to defend the faith and bear brave witness to it. And that's what our confirmation allows us to do. It gives us the fortitude to do precisely that. But there's also a danger after a while, and I, I would hate to quote him, but Nietzsche said something along these lines, that he who fights with monsters should be careful that he does not become a monster. And the reason why is because the more ferociously we fight, the more we lose ourselves in the fight, the easier it is to find that the righteous anger, the perfect hatred, and the divine ray, wrath that we make ourselves agents of when we fight with evil can very easily, in the deceitful human heart, be replaced with personal outrage and with very human hatred. And we have to be careful because this could happen without us even noticing it. And it happens because, as it says in the, uh, in the scripture, uh, in the, uh, the prophet Jeremiah, 
says the heart is the human heart is deceitful above all things and unsearchable who can know it and there's a passage the king james version says it's desperately wicked i rather like that better but i didn't i'm not a scholar of biblical language so i'll go with the the church's version of the dewey rams the human heart is a very difficult thing and we should never pretend that we have control over our own it usually presents us with quite a bit of difficulty and so it's easy for the devil by suggestion to begin turning our righteous anger into unrighteous outrage and the reason for this of course is because when we focus very much on the faults of the world around us not that we should not call forth and admonish sinners we have to we have to do that it's non-negotiable it's a spiritual act of mercy to admonish a sinner and one who teaches error as several people have said with pope pius the ninth uh, pope pius the tenth excuse me saint pius the tenth said that when you are in such a fight you do not count the blows but strike where you may and uh, saint john chrysostom said that when we encounter a blasphemer in the street we should not cease we should not spare any effort until he is silenced he uses the phrase sanctify our fists and so the the church authorities and and the saints of the church and the doctors of the church certainly meant no words when they talked about the admonishment of sinners and the correction of error and blasphemy we should spare no effort at such things but but it is easy for us when we are focused on admonishing the sinner that we do a little bit less admonishment of the sinner of the sinner we know best all of us are fallen none of us really love god the way that we should none of us really are grateful none of us really appreciate or deserve any of the gifts that god gives us freely least of all the resurrection and that terrible terrible suffering on the cross none of us have earned any of that we are utterly helpless without him and yet it is easy to lose sight of our own unrighteousness when we occupy ourselves with the unrighteousness around us and while none of us while we may not consciously say we live in an evil age and therefore our evil is more excusable we may do less thorough an examine when we focus so much on fighting the evils around us this is not to say that the people who spend their time fighting against these evils and exposing them are falling into this trap only that it's a risk that we run and a risk that we should be aware of and keep before us at all times when we spend all of our time admonishing other sinners we should never ever admonish others without first turning ourselves to admonish the sinner we know best and to examine ourselves and constantly place ourselves on the mercy of god and call others to do the same and always always correct with love and not with rage this is what it means to show piety 
everything that we do, we do out of love of God and love of neighbor. And that means that when you see someone engaged in something evil, inwardly you should weep for them. And then correct them thoroughly. But there are also plenty of opportunities on the internet, I might add, that we cannot correct the sinner. We cannot intervene. We cannot admonish. The opportunity is not presented to us. And in, those, in such cases, it does us no good at all to merely remind ourselves that the evil exists. We must stop and pray earnestly. And also seek out the faults that exist in ourselves. The blasphemers are ultimately prideful. That's why they blaspheme. They're wrapped up in themselves. And we need to ask ourselves how much we wrap ourselves up in ourselves. How wrapped up we get in our own understanding of things. How we vary from the church teaching when it's convenient and comfortable. And how much we seek comfort in the world rather than crucifying ourselves to it. St. Paul talks about this. He, uh, if I... If I am without love, I am like a clanging cymbal, he says. And furthermore, that he uh, disciplines the body and brings it into subjection. That saving others, he might not fall into the pit himself. It would certainly invalidate most of his work if he fell, and we see that. We see that with the trust that's shattered in the church with all of these priests that have been accused and have been dealt with because of the great evil that they committed. That is earth-shattering to people when that sort of thing happens. It doesn't matter that there are fewer Catholic priests engaged in that kind of activity than there are uh, Protestant ministers, and many, many fewer than there are Jewish rabbis. Statistically speaking, I mean, that's not a calumny, it's true. Statistically speaking, those kinds of evil that we see so often associated with Catholic clergy happen with far greater frequency in Jewish communities and in similar frequency in Protestant communities than they do among Catholics. But the authority of the Catholic priest, a Protestant minister, God love them, a Protestant minister will never have the authority or the power that is in the hands of a Catholic priest. He can't. The priest has been given something so much greater than anything man can earn for himself. A Protestant minister, at best, has a very fancy degree and a few letters that we don't know what they mean at the end of his name. But a Catholic priest, he has had the laying on hands of the apostolic authority. And whether or not you believe in that sort of thing, that gives him authority and influence among his own flock, far exceeding the best pastor. And so, when that authority is shattered by a great evil, it causes irrevocable harm. And we see that with the... And so that the... When we see evil in others, it can shake us, and we, we can lose sight of, our, of ourselves. We have to guard against exactly that, against 
the falling into uh, the despair that often accompanies the kind of the fighting that we have to do. We have to guard ourselves against uh, wrapping our being too too wrapped up in ourselves. We have to guard ourselves against. Uh, there's, there's a phrase that I'm trying to recall. I, I you can tell I'm stumbling because I'm trying to call it to mind, and I'm I'm delaying. I'm stalling while I'm doing it, and it's not working at all. There's a certain degree of interiorness that is lost uh, when we go forth into the world to do battle with evil. And it ties back into what we talked about with the Greater Crusade. Before we can successfully wage an exterior crusade, we must wage an interior crusade and conquer it, or conquer ourselves completely. Because unless God acts through us, we cannot hope to achieve any good. Unless God is the power which calls forth or calls out the heretic and the sinner, then the calling out accomplishes nothing. That's what Christ talks about when he says to remove the beam before uh, attacking the moat. On the, on the one hand, it, it illustrates that many times our sins are greater than those around us. Uh, but on the other hand, it also means that we... It, it's, a great, it's a much bigger thing to remove a beam from our own eye and from our own heart. It requires great, much more effort requires somewhat less precision but it does require a great deal more effort and we should never stop expending that effort Christ even tells us to judge righteous judgment but he tells us not to judge too quickly for the same reason it allows us it gives us an excuse not to deal with ourselves quite so harshly and quite so quickly or um, quite so thoroughly is what I meant to say. And so we should be careful when we're looking at all of the evil in the world and everything that's going on around us at all times to always maintain the focus of discipline on ourselves lest we should fall. And having fallen, take all of those that we have ga- that God has gained through us with us. Just like Paul. He doesn't want to fall because it would be earth-shattering. It would take all of his converts away. Well, not all of them, but it certainly would do great damage to all the good work that God has done through him. It would be a great victory for Satan. And the same is true of us if we fall. It's a great victory for Satan. Because he gets to undo all the good works we've ever done. And the best of us, the best of us, have to guard this the most guard against falling the most. That's what makes a great saint. A great saint is someone who has perfection within themselves, but has constancy more. God's perfection is manifest in his unchanging qualities, in his constancy. And so my prayer today, after that rather long-winded bit, is that we will maintain constancy in our discipline that we will always have before us 
the foretaste of eternity, whenever we are forced to turn our eyes upon the faults of this temporal existence, and that therefore we might better shine the light of eternity into the darkness of this world and illuminate rather than merely obscure, rather than obscure in ourselves. And that being illuminated and being filled with his light, we might draw nearer to it as, an, as a constant element in our lives, and that we might be conduits of that light, that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.